We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. I am taking Josh Allen number two on this list. The Mandalorian quarterback, as I have called him, because this is the way he shows the Buffalo Bills his way. And the defenses just wilt when Josh Allen has the football and has everything going his way. You just feel every drop back is going to be a chunk play, a scoring play, or a totally demoralizing run by this guy once all breaks down and he just takes it right up the gut on you and just hits you in the mouth or he leapfrogs you you just feel there's a sense of inevitability when he gets things rolling at the quarterback position and that's why i take josh allen number two in a must-win game welcome everybody to another edition of the rock pile report podcast I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Rich Eisen from the Rich Eisen Show on Peacock talking about the quarterback that he'd like the second most out of any quarterback in the NFL to have on his football team entering a must-win football game, Josh Allen. Guys, grip a can, rip it, and take a deep breath. You smell that, Chris? That's the smell of football. We made it. It's week one of the NFL football season. Oh, my God. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Everybody just calm down. I will not calm down. It, it, it is happening, and it's time to party. How's about I cut us up a couple more monster rails for us young bloods? <laughs> I don't, Chris. I don't know about that. We don't party like the like the Miami Dolphins coaching staff. No, what? no, we don't. 
But it's time to cut loose, baby, because football is back and the beers are ready to flow like water. This is our week one preview, the Buffalo Bills against the L.A. Rams. Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place, SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, California. The weather, clear skies, 83 with a mild 10 mile per hour wind. The line as of today is that the Buffalo Bills are two and a half point favorites. Road favorites to open the season on national TV. Here's your injuries to watch. For the Los Angeles Rams, it's going to be wide receiver Van Jefferson, who's coming back from knee surgery. Hasn't practiced in three weeks. Cornerback Jalen Ramsey, uh, shoulder surgery recovery. Just a week ago, admitted to pro football talk, he's not 100%. Something we're going to discuss here in a minute. Strong safety Jordan Fuller. Hasn't played in a single preseason game and is still ramping up from offseason ankle surgery. Quarterback Matt Stafford, tendonitis. He's going to play, but hasn't spent more than three weeks in actual team drills, much less live game action. And for the Buffalo Bills, Jordan Poyer looks like he's ready to go, barring any setbacks. Isaiah McKenzie got tweaked in Saturday's practice. He should be available for Thursday night. And on the call, Chris, what do we got? Mike Tirico and the slide-in, Chris Collinsworth. <sighs> now, folks, if you're listening, that song you heard, that's Thunder Kiss 65, White Zombie. Chris, Fantastic mu- song. Music. Like, there's some songs that, like, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Like, there's some songs that just equate to, like, like you listen to them for almost for specific purposes. I don't know if that's how you want to frame it, but it's kind of what it is, right? Yeah. Like, there's pump up. People have fight music. You know, I, I have certain songs I only listen to at the gym. Yeah. I'm sure you have a certain music you only listen to when you're driving. Correct. Okay. And then when I'm looking for a fight, I only drink fight milk. Fight milk. Or riot juice. <laughs> it's, was the, oh, it's made with real crow. Yeah. Like there's real crow it, it's in It's a there. crow's egg. It's a crow's egg. It's funny. I don't know if you've ever picked up on this. Before I do live podcasts, before I go do any event where I'm like it's an away game and I'm not sitting here in this chair behind this microphone with you in this studio recording something, I have to listen as I'm pulling into whatever the venue is. Space Lord by Monster Magnet. It's like that movie Gone in 60 Seconds where he has to lowrider for a second and then he does the yeah. stupid thing with his fingers and he's like, all right, let's go. I, I thought For I, me, it's Space Lord by Monster Magnet. I w- would have pictured you doing uh, Dwight Schrute going in the sales meeting where he was listening to <laughs> Motley Crue in the back seat playing air guitar <laughs> and, well, then head, is- and then headbutting the... the you know the driver's side uh, driver's side seat rest, just headbutting it. And if I'm getting ready to really cut loose, really cut loose, Thunder Kiss '65. I don't know what it is about that song; it just gets me fired up. It is. I'm. I'm. It gets exu- me fired up to two fist beers into my into my face. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm super excited for this game, mostly because I'm hosting. Ah, you're hosting a party for the. Look at you hosting, folks. For those of you who don't know, I host, is it fair to say 90% of the watch parties yeah. that our group has? Yeah. Yeah. Now, some of that's just because I'm lazy, 
and also because it's worth whatever whatever pizza and wings cost and the Sunday ticket to not catch a DWI driving around Western New York. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's the beginning of the season is going to be uh, a little weird because I mean, well, a I'm not there most of the time, and then b you're moving. So I am moving. What it's like? How are you hosting the first two months of the season? It's going to be dicey. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting we proposition. Only have, we only have three home games. And we will have to throw down one final going away. Like how you christen a ship before it goes out to sea. Is that where we trash your split level? I don't know about trashing it, but man, am I going to do some damage in that place that day. I'm going to punch a hole in the wall for sure. You know I can fix that and repaint it and no one will ever know it happened. I'm going to punch a hole in the wall. and <laughs> I've been doing that since I was a child. Thank God my father taught us drywall work. Yeah, I'm going to... Actually, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do between now and when you move out, I'm going to punch a hole in the wall, and over the next month and a half, I'm going to be collecting all of my dog's turds, and I'm just going to put it in the wall. So what I love about this, though, is that it's here, right? I'm fired up. I, I just, I hear that music and I get this itch in my fingertips. Like, I just, I, it, realistically, that song coincides with poor decisions mm-hmm. on my part. But it gets you fired up. I'm fired up about this game, I think, more than I've ever... For a week one game, I don't know that I've been this excited in a long time. How much of that do you think is a byproduct of it being on national TV? Well, it is the kickoff game. So that has... We get to watch a Super Bowl banner get raised for the Rams, and then we're hoping it's us a year from now. I mean, this is it, Bills fans. This is the week that we've all waited what feels like an eternity for. The kickoff of the NFL season. And unlike most seasons, where usually that Thursday night kickoff game, you're watching the Super Bowl champion raise their banner. We're sick, so we watch like three quarters of the game on like a... Well, because it's a Thursday night. You're going to really pay attention to probably the first half. You're going to spend the second half just watching your fantasy team if you have any players involved. And then we all head to bed stone sober by midnight. Instead, Josh Allen and our Buffalo Bills are going to take center stage, and we're all going to be on the edge of our fucking seats. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Can you feel the tension in the air right now? (laughs) Oh, Chris, it's palpable. It's right there. I can can feel it in my palms. (laughs) Yeah. Ashley Schaefer. What a ridiculous character. Will Ferrell, best person to cast for that. Maybe the only person. Yeah, it's like a slightly fem- feminine Ric Flair. <laughs> it's, it's, a southern Ric Flair. Well, Ric Flair was already... Uh, had a, a little southern. Yeah, it's you had to be more effeminate, which is what <sighs> Will Ferrell played it perfectly. Well, as. I'll tell you what's going to help take the edge off. Kyle Washington was nice enough to send us some craft beverages to help enjoy the kickoff of the NFL season. Now, I'm working on a case to him to repay the favor, but right now I'm, I'm taste testing one of these beers. It's by Revision Brewing Company, which, Chris, we've had some of the Revision beers he sent us in the past. They're good. Yeah. You're not even an IPA fan, and you like them. Correct. This is a New England-style hazy IPA at 6.5% alcohol that's just called Vegas as Fuck. I like that. Straightforward. Let you know what it's about. Let me see here. Uh, bringing our love for Nevada from one end of the state to the other. Hazy IPA, Mosaic, Galaxy, and Vic Secret hops for a blend of melon and pineapple notes. Oh, Jesus. 
<laughs> and, a, and a waft of something reminiscent of a dispensary. Interesting flavor profile. Smells piney. You want to get in here? You want to you get a little bit of this? It's all you. All right. Down the hatch. I'm sticking to the Montuckies over here. Mm. Oh, it's piney. It's one of those IPAs. It's fruity on the back end, though. I like that. For being a hazy one, I like this. It's one of those beers where, like, if you hold it in your mouth and you breathe in and out through your nose, it smells like you're in the forest. All right. Ah, <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. I've got Montucky in one hand. I've got an IPA in the other. It's time to start talking about this matchup. It's always hard to scout a team for week one, right? Because there isn't a body of work. There's nothing that you can look at. There's no film to watch. And all you're left to do is prognosticate and project based on the previous season for the most part, right? But then at the same time, teams morph their approach or at least try to change their approach to the game of football, even if it's just subtly, every single offseason. Exhibit A. The 2021 Buffalo Bills. They went into week one against the Steelers last year, deciding that we don't need fucking balance. Balance? What balance? We threw the ball 51 times. That's crazy. Like, what? what's the most? Do you think that that qualifies as the most? Like, okay, we're going to do this experiment right now. What do you think the most attempts Jim Kelly had? In a game? Jim Kelly, pro football reference. What do you think over the course of his, like the Super Bowl era, when the Bills were good and had a roster that could compete built around him, what do you think the largest number of attempts I'd that say he had in a single game was? My guess would be 45. Da, 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 da. 89, 89, the Bickering Bills. He had 44 once. Uh, da, 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 through 1990, he never threw the ball more than 40 times. Interesting. His, high, his highest was 37. Uh, here, here we go. Uh, 1991, we've got a 43. We've got a 44. Ah, okay. In a win against the Raiders, a 30 to 27 win, he threw the ball 52 times. Oh, wow. 52 times for 347 yards and two touchdowns. Was that an away game? Yes. It was an away game at the Raiders. At the Raiders. And uh, are you? can you open the box score? Let's take a look. Do, do, do. Open the box score and yep. then tell me that there is a punt return from Al Edwards. Oh, please tell me they give it to me. Let's see. Scoring plays. Oh, they don't include it. See, kick and punt returns. Wait a minute. Al Edwards, punt return for a touchdown. Look at you. Oh. I'm real smart with uh, <laughs> when you're a child and all you do is in the summer you watch the 1991 Buffalo Bills video yearbook. <laughs> we watch, I, you know what one I used to watch all the time that my dad had was the... Um, was the year I want to see if it, if it was the same season? The Raiders, Tampa. Yeah, it was earlier. They no, no. There was a game against the Buccaneers where we just embarrassed them in the nineties. No, that must have been later. Mm, I think it was in the ninety season. 
that or it was no, it was earlier that year. Win seventeen ten, but it was embarrassing. So ultimately, I guess my point is is that in the heyday of of Jim Kelly, he threw the ball fifty times once, one time. Instead, he just relied on the strength of the team around him to also do some of the heavy lifting. We went into the beginning of last year, and Josh Allen just decided, fuck this, we're going to throw the ball everywhere, and I'm going to make all the decisions. And it ended in a... Threw the ball 51 times for just 270 yards. When Kelly did it, it was 370 and two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, 270, one touch in a loss with a fumble and some really ugly air yardage numbers that would have you questioning whether or not he forgot they were a vertical passing attack. So who are the 2022 Rams and the 2022 Bills? There's really no way to definitively know. So instead, to calm our collective nerves and quell some of this existential dread that all the Bills fans that I talk to, people who are like, well, I just, I don't trust this team. I just It's national TV, big game. We were rusty last year when we came out. We didn't play well in the Jets game back in 29. And it's like... Chris, are people here just against the idea that the Bills might be good because they haven't seen it in 30 years? Probably. Like, I think that that might be it. You haven't seen a competent football team that just goes out and takes care of business in 30 years. No. So maybe that's what's driving some of this. But so in order to try to get over the hump and make some of you at least understand what you're looking at, I'm going to open up another Montucky cold snack sitting here. And we're going to take a look at what we do definitively know about each team, or at least about our opponent ahead of this matchup that's going to take place in front of the entire fucking country. Do you want to open the refrigerator and toss me a Montucky? I would love to toss you a Montucky. This is like... Cold snack coming! Yeah, toss it. Caught it. (laughs) I love this Now it's going to spray everywhere. I love this. You need to spray it like Tweeter in Varsity Blues. And with class, I'll pour it in the glass. So if we're talking about the Rams, the Bills, we've gotten a lot of ink spilled on our behalf this offseason. We're going into 2022, the Super Bowl favorite. But the Rams are no slouches. They have Vegas's fifth best odds right now to repeat as Super Bowl champs which hasn't been done back-to-back Super Bowl titles. Patriots? Patriots, Cowboys. Both of the franchises can fuck off. I'll see them and this Rams team in hell. The Rams still feature legitimate star power, and they also have one of the NFL's most meticulous head coaches in Sean McVay. And he's been the architect of some of the most innovative motion-based offenses the NFL's seen in years. If, if we want to start there, that this dynamic scares the hell out of me, Chris, because we're talking about McDermott. We love Sean McDermott. He's obviously a quality NFL head coach. At the same time, even though he and Leslie Frazier are a formidable pair when it comes to crafting some of the league's best defenses, when he goes up against offensive coordinators and coaches who mix a significant amount of pre-snap motion and deception into their play calling, the statistics and numbers are pretty ugly. Uh, Back in 2019, he went 0-1, losing to Doug Peterson in a game that my dad came out there for, and Paul Williams uh, from England came and tailgated with us. 
Uh, the Eagles throttled us in that game. I mean, they tried to make a late comeback attempt, but it was clear the Eagles were the more cohesive team. Even though we had the better defense, didn't matter. Didn't matter. Doug yeah. Peterson had his way. 2020, the league's second-ranked scoring defense, we went 2-3 and three against good offensive coordinators, losing to Andy Reid twice and Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury is not a, a winning head coach in the NFL. That was a Hail Mary play, right? Hail Mary play. 2021, the number one ranked scoring defense. We went one and two against strong offensive coordinators and coaches, losing to Andy Reid and Bruce Arians. Like, I don't know. Regardless of the defensive talent that he has available to him, McDermott has found ways to come up short against this type of coaching staff over and over and over again. And even his last victory over uh, Sean McVay required a ridiculous comeback, a Herculean comeback effort on the part of Josh Allen and our offensive staff, and also some ill-timed penalties. Yeah, that was the uh, game that we were beating the shit out of them and then lost it, and then won with like 12 seconds left. Yes. And then people said, ah, that shouldn't have happened. That should have been a P.I. call. Yep. Well, they, they said it shouldn't have been a P.I. call. They said what it should have been was, like, they said there's no way that you didn't call P.I. like that. Or I don't even think it was P.I. I think it was defensive holding, automatic first down, and then on the next play we scored a touchdown. Yeah, we were uh, we were up 28-3 to at that in that game and then uh, blew it. Yeah. So... It's going to be interesting to see in the wake of our latest heartbreaker to, again, an, a strong offensive mind who outfoxed and either that or just underpanicked Sean McDermott. Like, I feel like McDermott gets panicky in moments like that. He can. Andy Reid didn't blink. He just said, fine, we're going to keep calling plays. I trust my players. I think we're going to score. Let's go run some shit and see what happens. Do you believe, Chris, that with everything that McDermott has endured over these last two seasons and the way that each one of his seasons has kind of unraveled at the end, that he's learned how to change this narrative? Or do you think he's still susceptible to this? I think he'll change. I think, because I, I don't know, because I think Ken Dorsey is younger than Dable and more fit. So if McDermott says, like, no, 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 let's go a little conservative and run this play. I wouldn't be surprised because we saw that clip that was tweeted at us about Ken Dorsey being a psychopath that Ken Dorsey will get in McDermott's face and challenge him. I think that he's kind of it's kind of like uh, I don't know about challenge him, but I don't no, it's, I it's, get where you're coming from. No, what it is, it's like Will Ferrell in that sketch with Pierce Brosnan <laughs> where he wants chant anybody from the office challenge me and then out come Chris Parnell. That'll be Ken Dorsey, except he wins. <laughs> Mr. Tarkanian, I've been doing cocaine and lifting weights all day. And I'm right. Yeah. Scott Jorgensen, I love it. I'm oh, actually going to murder, murder you. you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I look at it like this. I think that Ken Dorsey doesn't take that job if he doesn't think that he's going to be allowed to be his aggressive self. I don't see a universe where that takes place. But also, I need to know that Sean McDermott isn't going to interfere 
or blink or panic in big moments against these types of coaches. So it's a really good litmus test for him right out of the gate. We're going to know what he's learned this offseason after the whole 13 seconds fiasco. If he's learned to just let his coaches do their jobs, or if he still feels like he should get involved because he has a track record of not making the best choices. As far as the the on-the-field product, though, this is where this whole matchup is interesting to me. Because you hear this, like, Chris, you feel a little bit of it, too. You have to, right? There's a certain sense of dread. You're like, ah, defending Super Bowl champions. They've got star players like Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson. You're like, God, this could go so bad. There's a For as confident as Bills fans are, there's a giant subset of the fan base that has this feeling in their stomach. When you make up what the Rams team is, if we want to understand what's going on on their side of the fence, there's a lot of interesting wrinkles that catch my eye. And as I weave them together for you, you're going to see that there's a pattern here. One of the biggest storylines for them this offseason, and one of the dynamics that headlines every one of their fan sites and every single one of their blogs when you try to talk about the roster is the lack of depth. You t- Just take one look at OurLads.com, and it'll underscore the fact that as you look around the roster, you see that Les Snead's approach to managing a roster and his fuck-them-draft picks, you remember that mug that his daughter got him? Yeah. That everybody raved about? The, the approach worked out. It netted them a Super Bowl. And it also had a degenerative effect on the rest of the team's makeup in the process. It comes up in a few important places. First of all, at cornerback. The Buffalo Bills have one of the more high-octane passing attacks in the NFL. And coming into this game, all-pro Jalen Ramsey just isn't healthy. Last week, he played the end of last year through a shoulder injury and had surgery to correct it this offseason. And last week, he was asked by the LA media how he felt, you know, how practice was going. He was surprisingly candid, and he came back and said that he's still working back. He feels about 70%. Now, this is just last week. And said that, I haven't been attacking the top of wide receivers' routes this offseason the way that I normally would. I haven't been, you know, I haven't been as physical at the line of scrimmage. But I'm still confident that when the moment comes, like when the moment comes, I'll be ready for it. He's still trying to get his sea legs. Well, I'll tell you what. You've got, what, 10 days? Yeah. 10 days. The last time Ramsey saw the Bills, it was a great outing for him. He had five yards on four targets with one touchdown to Diggs that was just Diggs being a disgusting route runner in the end zone. Like, he burned... Remember that tweet that we put out that kind of, like, it had a big run? They were like, oh, if you look, Ramsey is is still out there looking. It's just him standing alone looking at the ground in the end zone. I don't know what point in the game someone got this photo. They're like, look, he's still trying to find Stephon Diggs on that touchdown route. The problem is that if he's not 100%, his trademark aggression in man cover, which is something that... Diggs excels against when people try to man him up and they're not an elite talent, all of a sudden becomes less of a threat. And it could be a place where the Bills can find something to work with on offense throughout the course of the game. The bigger issue for the Rams is that beyond Ramsey, things get dicey really quick. And everyone bitching about the Bills' lack of lack of depth at cornerback, this should what you're about to listen to should give you all just a little bit of pause. You know, Chris, as we like to say, <gasps> a goose. 
Jones from uh, their cornerback two is a guy named David Long. He's a former third round pick, decent cover corner, but by everything that's been written about him, he's short, doesn't have any recovery speed, and struggles to play in zone. So he has to play man press defense, but he's shown issues with bigger wide receivers. Chris, if Jalen Ramsey is glued to Stephon Diggs' hip, doesn't it sound like he... Probably Gabe Davis, then, is his assignment, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big fella. According to TurfShowTimes.com, he was noticeable last preseason because that Super Bowl defensive unit was so good that David Long's mediocrity stuck out like a sore thumb. I can't imagine he's all of a sudden become an all-pro in one offseason. What's worse about him is that his cornerback, too, he reminds me a lot of Levi Wallace when I look at his just his numbers and the way he seems to play the run. He's got a ton of missed tackles and just 10 run stops and 158 rundowns that he played in 2021. Which tells you that when he's in the hole and he's asked to come downhill and fill, he plays the run like a guy wearing Sperry's floods with a polo tucked into his fucking chinos. Well, what do I got over there? I was going to say, I think I just described half your wardrobe, didn't I? I have. <laughs> right in front of my desk, I got three pairs of Sperry's. Yeah. He plays the run like Chris Krueger. Meanwhile, they're nickel corner. Troy Hill, former undrafted free agent of the Bengals, recent cast off of the Browns. The Browns don't want you. You're probably not good, right? I mean, well, did, how many women did he touch? <laughs> Out of bounds, sir. If I had a flag, I would throw it. He's going to open as their starting nickel. And his 2021 stats are harder to look at than you out in the lawn mowing shirtless, Chris. Allowed a 100% catch percentage four different times last year. 434 yards allowed, which doesn't seem bad for 14 games. But when you take a closer look at the numbers, they could have been incredibly worse. Because the the four games that he was targeted more than five times, he gave up 298 yards, which is more than half of his total yardage for the season. Three touchdowns, no pass breakups, and a lot of QBR when targeted of over 101. Basically, when teams game-planned for him and said, hey, here's a weak link, and they picked on him, it blew up in his team's face. And then beyond those three starters, the rest of the secondary consists of a former fourth-round pick with three decent starts to his entire career and three rookie draft picks that got taken from the fifth round to the seventh round this year. No depth. Throwing some average safety play in, these, this secondary might be well-coordinated, but the level of talent is definitely skewed in the favor of Buffalo. Now, now Chris, this is what happens when you keep trading away top-flight draft pick after top-flight draft pick, and then you pay Jalen Ramsey while letting previously drafted talent like Darius Williams walk in free agency because you can't afford them anymore. I like the uh, idea of trading picks to win a Super Bowl. Sure. and Just give they, me one. And and they won their one. Yeah. And it's a risk. This, and this is what comes next. <laughs> this is what, It's almost like that Rick and Morty episode when they were like, this, this, this is what you don't get to see, Summer. These are, these are the, this is the aftermath of Rick's adventures. 
Like, all you get to see is him blowing up planets and saving the galaxy, which you don't get to see is the universes and shambles that he leaves behind. That's what Les has kind of done to this roster, right? I, you take a look. You've seen teams make crappy secondaries work, but they need front seven talent. And unfortunately, they're also lacking there. The, the Rams linebacker core has Bobby Wagner, who was pretty bad down the stretch. That's why Seattle let him go. A coverage linebacker in Ernest Jones, who really isn't effective against the run. And then three rookies. <laughs> Do you see a trend developing here as we kind of look at their depth chart? Yeah, rookies. Rookies and mediocre players. Uh, the Rams backed up the Brinks truck for Aaron Donald just to get him to not retire. Like, he started talking about potentially retiring now that he won a Super Bowl, and they paid him more money to get him to stick around. So they've got arguably one of the best defensive line linemen of the last 15 years and some really nice compliments on the interior of the depth chart that are stout against the run. Guys like Sean Robinson, who's basically like a stump. He's very hard to move. But there is nothing behind them. When you think about the Bills, you're used to watching us, Chris, rotate on like a 50-50, 60-40 split. Yep. That's why we kept, in, I think, what was it, nine defensive linemen in total last year between tackles and... Something like that. Okay. So this season we kept fewer, but every season the Bills are looking to rotate their, rotate their linemen from ends to tackles. Everyone, nobody plays more than 65%. That's not a thing that happens. You take a look at what's going on with the Rams. Like, there's no depth behind them. What is this? Every Robinson, Aaron Donald, and uh, this Ernest Gaines, E, e something Gaines. I don't know. E J Gaines. No, that guy. He was a former Ram too. They played almost all the snaps last season. The backups on the roster registered less than ten percent of the snaps. Now maybe they just really love those guys. I would never take Aaron Donald off the field if I was playing Madden. Correct. But I'd have to think that maybe they'd rotate more to try to keep him fresh in the later portion of the game when you need to close things out if they had any depth worth talking about. That dynamic goes a long way to explaining how, despite fielding a Super Bowl-caliber defense, the Rams allowed the eighth-most fourth-quarter points in the NFL last season. Guys on the field deep into the game in the fourth quarter where they don't have rotational help just aren't as effective. And then you think about... Because think about it, that game that the Bills ended up coming back and winning on, that comeback happens because there's a couple plays where they try to chase him down, but Allen just runs away from the pass rush. Those guys are gassed. They've been chasing him all day, and there's no one coming in to rest them or spell them. That's cool when you're going after a quarterback who stands in the pocket like a deer. It's not going to get you a bull moose like Josh Allen. So... I know that you think I'm yammering here about, oh, they don't have this, they don't have that. Okay, fine. Maybe you don't believe me that their defense just isn't as deep and isn't as talented as anything they put out last season. For all my yammering, here's the cherry on top of the Sunday that I've been scooping together for you in regards to their defense over the last 15 minutes. In 2021, NFL football teams averaged 23 points per game, per team, per week over the course of the entire regular season. 
The under over for this game, I believe Chris has changed. It was 54 points, and now it's what, 52 and a half? Check that for me. According to my Yahoo Sports app, Bills favored by two over under 51 and a half. Okay, so it's moved even farther down, which is what it should be. But hear me out. Having a conversation with Ryan Lacell from Rock Sports, he pointed out to me that based on the line and the Bills at the time being favored by two and a half points, that meant that Vegas odd makers expect that the Buffalo Bills should score if the line was 54 points. At the time, we're saying they should score 27 and a half. That's more than half a touchdown better than the NFL average last season. That doesn't happen if the Rams' defense was terrifying, right? They wouldn't be prognosticating that the Bills are going to score four touchdowns if they thought the Rams' defense was good. Makes sense. And these are guys who make their living doing this. So just food for thought. And then let's switch sides of the ball here. Let's talk about the Rams' offense because it's interesting. They've got two stellar wide receiver talents at their disposal and an offensive line that shuffled from last year with the retirement of Pro Bowler uh, left tackle Andrew Whitworth. But it's still plenty capable and most importantly, athletic enough to pull off a multifaceted approach to offense. They can both run with power. They can pass protect well. They can zone block. Two years in a row, they've had the NFL's top success rate on first down, meaning that they get at least 50% of the necessary yardage to obtain a first down better than any other team in football. This is in part because they can both pass, protect, and run block well, so from a play-calling perspective, they keep everybody on their toes. And a lot of it has to do with their varied formations that Sean McVay comes up with and the pre-snap motion, Right? They bring guys across the formation. Now it comes into a linebacker's coverage zone. That running that linebacker now has to shift over to account for that guy. And then they run to the short side of the formation where your linebackers just shifted away from. Like, that's it. That's the nuance of the offense. But it's in, it sounds simple, but it's incredibly hard to defend against. It's a bitch of a thing to try to snuff out. <clears throat> because if you don't follow that motion man and he leaks out into space and catches and runs, that's your fault as a linebacker. If you're trying to play assignment sound football, you have no choice but to pick up that motion guy and hope that it's not just eye candy. Or that if it is, and they do end up handing the ball off, that you can recognize it and then recover fast enough to do something about it. Most teams can't. But most teams aren't the Buffalo Bills. Most teams don't have a Trey Edmonds. And a Matt Milano. And a Teron Johnson. And that rookie. Who's the rookie linebacker? Bernard? Bernard. We'll see how he's utilized, but I they don't have what we have, right? It's one of the things that's made Sean McVay so special in this league is that he uses this to just absolutely punish other NFL teams. But when you look at the makeup of what they're putting out there to try to operate this same attack, they're not perfect. Cup and Robinson going up against young cornerbacks like Elam and Benford is a tear. I'll admit it. It's a fucking terrifying concept. Especially when you consider that off-ball coverage is something that the two of them are still learning how to do at an NFL level. And if they give these guys too much cushion, these high-level pros are going to eat up every bit of cushion that they're given by these guys. And if if they make a play in front of you and then make you chase and run, like that's it. If you're flat-footed, your eyes are slow at the snap, these guys could get eaten alive by these two wide receivers. Our whole cornerback room could get cooked in this game. 
if they allow that to happen. How concerned are you, Chris, about that dynamic? It's probably the only game I'm concerned about with Benford and Elam is this is one of them having to cover Cup. It's going to be. I mean, I feel like if Elam is covering Cup, based on what we know about him from training camp, where they had to put, what, boxing gloves on him, <laughs> I'm afraid that... He's just going to keep cheating. That that's going to keep happening. Yeah, but who cares? We get, Fuck them. The, the Ravens... The, the we Ravens, get, hold, the, the, the we Seahawks. get holding yeah. calls, and then you spend the... 70% of the game trying to flip my pool table. So, with these kids, I'll talk about it in a minute, but with these kids, I'm willing to take the approach of the uh, Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom where it's, fuck it, let's cheat on every play. Every play. They can't flag us every time. <laughs> they can't flag us every time the ball gets thrown. Get your hands in there. Get a little dirty inside that five-yard window. Allen Robinson is not a physically imposing receiver. Cooper Cup is not a big guy. He's a nuanced runner. Get in their face. You're young. You got nothing to lose. If you if you don't cover them well, no one's going to blame you. Right? Get in yeah. there. Fucking mix it up. There is no tomorrow. When you get past the two of them, though, they're really light on proven offensive threats. Van, I say this because Van Jefferson, I don't know, he's an unknown as to whether or not he's going to play in this game. He's missed almost a month of practices. You know, he, he had a knee cleanup. He had knee surgery and then had to have a cleanup done because he hurt his knee again in like the middle of training camp. He hasn't practiced in almost a month. I think it's a tough ask for that guy to ramp up all of a sudden and be ready for week one, don't you? Yeah. Okay. So no one beyond that has much in the way of NFL experience or production given that they lost Robert Woods this offseason in free agency. And I think that this is worth, like, this is a big thing to this game that people are underestimating. Robert Woods is one of the NFL's most underrated wide receivers. I'm going to read you some stats, and I need you, I, I want your honest reaction in the moment. Because are you a person who thinks that Robert Woods is an elite wide receiver? Elite. For... The, yes or no? The, do you include him in your top fifteen top top fifteen wide receiver conversation? For being a wide receiver, and what you're asked to do with that position to score points, no. But his run blocking is very okay, very good. I love that you categorized him like that because I'm going to read you his stat line with Jared Goff as his quarterback, right? Because he missed a chunk of last season because he tore tore up his knee. Yeah. With Jared Goff as his quarterback for three seasons, he just averaged 135 targets, which is just 30 shy of what Stephon Diggs has been getting, 91 catches, 1,120 yards, and five touchdowns per season. Averaged. 90 catches, 1,100 yards, five touchdowns a season. That's ridiculous production for a guy that you never hear about on ESPN. You don't see him on the cover of a magazine anywhere. Sports Illustrated isn't falling all over themselves to interview Robert Woods. 
And yet here he is with a mediocre quarterback putting up some of the most reliable production. I have been relevant in fantasy football for years because I make it a point of drafting Robert Woods, quote unquote, too early. The man's a machine. And I'm glad that people are finally recognizing it. Reliable hands after the catch play make a making ability. They would use him as their motion man all of the time. Made him one of the league's, and, and to your point, Chris, one of the league's best run blockers from the wide receiver position. His departure from this Rams roster might be more impactful than them losing Andrew Whitworth at left tackle. Yeah, I can remember that game that was here. Robert Woods going in most, when they were on, they, what, they scored, what, 28 points unanswered in the second half? Mm-hmm. A lot of that was the uh, misdirection of uh, Bobby Woods. It's incredible when you think about what they lost with him. And they replaced him with a guy named Tutu Atwell. I've never heard his name. Never heard of him before. They hope that he's the, like Robert Woods' replacement. But how do you know? Like, how do you replace 1,100 yards a year for three years? You don't, Chris. That's like Bills. That's like Bills fans when Andre Reid and Peerless Price and all these receivers that we liked left in the late '90s, and we were like, "It's okay, guys. It's okay. We'll replace him." And then they went, "It's okay. We've got Lee Evans." And then they go, "It's okay. We've got Donald Jones." And oh no, Naman oh, Roosevelt. No. Oh no, this is what happens when you play that game for too long. Then you look at their tight end room: incredibly green, incredibly thin. Somehow less experienced than the Bills' tight end room, if you can believe that. And they only have two on the roster. Higby's fine. He's not bad. But he's like a Mike Gesicki. Last year, he was on the field for 562 passing snaps, only blocked for 49 of them. Never been asked to be a run blocker. That's going to fall to his counterpart, Bryson Hopkins, who's young. Three NFL targets to his credit in two seasons. Like, I don't know. You don't have any versatility in your tight end room. Okay, that's probably not great, would you say? Yeah, but it's real hard to find tight ends. Is it? It is. I mean, I guess as a guy it who is, roots for a team that had Pete Metzlars and then yeah. nothing. It, it's hard. <laughs> nothing. It's hard to find a tight end. Jay Ramirzma. Uh, Ramirzma. Ramirzma. What other Bills tight ends? I, I remember we had a guy. Uh, the Butch only, Roll. Uh, the only reason I remember this is because I think it was Gus Johnson. It was a Gus Johnson game. And you know how he gets. Yeah. That man is, dude, Put inject that into my veins. I love his play calling. So Gus Johnson, and it's an open field play. Now, this guy's six foot five, six foot six, like 270 pounds. He's a blocking tight end. He catches a pass out in the flat and somehow sidesteps this linebacker. And then runs forward for six yards and gets tackled. And Gus Johnson goes crazy and he goes, the elusive. What is it? Michael Gaines, Robert Gaines, whatever. Gaines. I remember that. And it was one of the, fu- I've la- I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. Yeah. It's hard to find the elusive ends. because he sidestepped a linebacker once in his entire career. And we just kept calling him that for until he retired. Yeah, Dude, it's hard to find good tight ends. And plus, if you want to develop a tight end, it takes their entire rookie contract. 
and they're off like their rushing style is going to be different because of these other nuances that played out in front of them. Cam Akers is looking to try to have a bounce back season. I mean, I don't know how how the fuck he came back for those playoffs. He wasn't good during them. He kind of limped his way through it, but he wasn't effective. They're hoping he bounces back with a full off season, but I don't know. You're talking about a team that doesn't have the horses that it used to. Over and over, that seems to be the story for the post-championship L.A. Rams. So the question is, can the Bills counter with... Can the Bills counter this with what is being advertised as a Super Bowl-caliber roster and staff? I think they can, as long as they follow this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I like how we've been podcasting for 52 minutes and I have a beer in each hand. God, I missed this. I missed it. I miss getting fired up. Drunk and fired up for a podcast is where <laughs> everyone should be. I, to, for I, those of you listening at home, just get a microphone, drink seven beers, and sit down in front of it and see what comes out. I bet you you'd be surprised at how good it feels just to get some of that out there. I was all pumped because you know, we keep track of our beers for... The day we podcast, it's going to be tough for me. Yeah, you're chewing your way through those things, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on five. Guys, liquor on, has ruined Chris's beer drinking. I though. just love liquor, but if I have liquor, it's like a guaranteed two drinks, and then you're done? Sh- and then I'm done. Beer, I can drink. Man, tough to get to seven. There was one. Remember, there was one. Tough time- to get to seven. That's an aperitif. What are you talking about? I have that before the entree comes out. There, there was when I had my old old job i think like christmas might have been on like a sunday and then we had like monday tuesday off which was like a recording night Mm -hmm. and i remember i'm like all right i'm gonna compete with drew and i remember (laughs) i got up at eight o'clock in the morning shane gillis you yeah you did (laughs) i got up i remember i remember i got up at like eight o'clock in the morning and i was like all right we're gonna break this out i'm gonna have a beer at uh 8 a.m 10, 12, 2, 4, 6, and then after 6, just go from there and have some... And you, I think you won that night like 11 to 9. <laughs> but I had been started at in the morning because I was off. But I've, I've had five beers. It's going to be tough. It's just beer, right? I love that, that podcast with Joe Rogan where Ari Shafir challenges Shane Gillis. It's a $5,000 bet as to whether or not he can outdrink him. There's another one coming out. This week, uh, protect my, our parks five. I think my favorite thing about it though is just how Shane Gillis keeps reminding him. He goes, "Oh, it's Bud Lights, right? It's just it's just light beer, guys. This should be easy." He drinks eighteen and then goes and does another podcast. Yeah, he, with did, he did kill Tony he goes that and night. Does kill Tony later that night. It's hilarious to me. Like some of it's one of those things that I've grown to appreciate about him is that some people just have it, right? Like some people just have that gene. I've got it. He's got it. All the great ones have it, right? Yeah. All the great ones in podcasting. <laughs> the ability to just plow through beers while you're behind a microphone and still have it come out coherently. Although I think our listeners kind of know when I come off the rails, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. You just go back to that episode with Nate Geary from the summer where you get you drank Blue Note. <laughs> I just like how Nate looked at me at one point. We both stopped. He goes, another podcast derailed by bourbon. <laughs> That'll happen. Keys to victory. First of all, one of the biggest wild cards in this entire matchup, the health and the rust of Matt Stafford. I'm happy that Vegas is walking back the over-under on this game, 
Because a lot of it has to do with the fact that, like, if you're expecting, like, when the line was 54, that means that you're expecting both teams to score in the high 20s. The problem is that you're talking about a Rams team that has a quarterback who has not practiced. Like, it's one thing not to play in the preseason. Justin Herbert has never thrown a preseason snap, I think, until this year. Did he play in the preseason this year? I have no idea. Call in if you know. He's never played, like, he never played in the preseason and he broke rookie passing records. So obviously the preseason doesn't matter as much to real season performance. But one thing that does is being able to actually work in 11 on 11 drills and practice with your team. Get your timing down, especially when you have new wide receivers, Chris. Especially if Van Jefferson might not be available and you got to play with a fourth stringer that you probably haven't haven't utilized in over a year you haven't played catch with this guy so when that happens and you find out that just two and a half weeks ago he finally started working with the rest of the team in 11 on 11 drills how much rust is there to knock off on this guy gotta be a lot it could be simple it could be huge no one knows there's no way to know until they take the field this week which sucks Right? Like, it sucks if you're a Rams fan. Yeah. That'd be like us wondering, are we going to see Nathan Peterman or Josh Allen? Better be Josh Allen. Also, one of the kids, well, and here's the here's the best part. You actually said something about it because I laughed when you were talking to Yulberg about what to bet. And you were like, well, what if we hit him in the elbow? Yeah. It's like, all right, well, that's, that, that's something an idiot would say. But also, it's worth noting are you more susceptible to the pass rush when you're rusty and haven't seen a live pass rush, even in a practice setting, for more than two and a half weeks? I mean, he's a Stafford's a pro. He's been around for like what, twelve, thirteen years. You have all twelve, thirteen of those years been great? No, they were. No, he's played a lot of garbage football. They were in he's, Detroit. He's been a guy who's played a lot of garbage football. No, oh, well, there's uh, who the hell? What's his name? Rob Parker from F- Fox Sports. Mm-hmm. He likes to call Matt Stafford uh, Stat Padford because he plays from behind all the time and gets the baddest stats. So I guess my thing is when I look at this and I go, okay, so he's rusty. He's still getting up to speed. He's trying to catch up. It's ill-advised to try to blitz a lot in a game like this. At the same time, wouldn't you want to put some heat on him when you can? Yeah. I want to knock him down every time, and just I want some. I want some heat in his face. I want it coming from the a gap too. That's the thing. I want a gap pressure on this guy because he's not Josh Allen. He's not quite Tom Brady, but he's not Josh Allen. Like his escapability isn't otherworldly. I want to see what a quarterback who hasn't really seen much practice time. What does he look like when you put some legitimate fire under him? Yeah, that'll be a. It'll be nice to see where they're going to place Ed Oliver. Oh, they're going to move him around, and I, I, I'd, I'd like to see them mix some Boogie Basham in there, some Greg Rousseau in the middle of the defensive line. Like, I want to see them see what they have to do in order to just naturally generate a pass rush up the face of the offense and disrupt what is a an offense is very highly based on timing, and that brings me to my second point: McDermott, Frazier, and our defensive backfield versus the motion offense. 
you guys probably thought I spent most of the podcast talking about this narrative that the Rams are missing pieces. That it was just window dressing. Ah, Drew's rambling because he doesn't have anything else to talk about, and he's trying to make us all feel better about this. I promise you that that wasn't for nothing. Its importance goes beyond just our ability to match up individually with their guys, like horse v. horse, like saying, oh, well, our cornerbacks against your outside wide receivers, that's a mismatch. The thing that makes the Rams' offense so dangerous has been their ability to manipulate and threaten a defense and dictate play to you by picking their most advantageous matchup, right? They'll start out with highly, tightly grouped pockets of skill players. You know, three wide receiver bunch near the line of scrimmage. Kind of masks their intentions and blocking assignments and allows them to get away with not only generating natural screens, but also throwing short and intermediate concepts that generate sizable gains because you can't get to them. If they run a bunch formation and the first two guys at the top of the stack block outwards and that second guy catches a bubble screen that starts running, by default, you get four to five yards. When, like when those plays get executed with you know, properly, it makes now you, you start drifting to the outside going, okay, we have to try to cheat in order to make up for this play design advantage that they inherently have. And then they hit you with a run up the middle because you moved your linebacker over five feet. This is what's made them successful forever, right? Yeah. They also use motion across the formation with wide receivers, with tight ends, that are meant to pull your linebackers laterally across the formation based on you know, the threat of a new receiver entering your zone area or whatever it may be. And then they just run to the place that you vacated. Or if you guys shift over too far, you guys really buy the fact that they're going to throw to that side of the formation. They'll run a cutback to the other side, and there's no linebackers there. To, like You can't run all the way back across the defensive front seven, at least not before they've gotten six, seven yards. Mm-hmm. They've manufactured efficiency based on this ability to disguise what they want to do and dictate play. You don't get the same dynamic threat when these moving pieces that are supposed to supply the eye candy aren't credible threats. When it's a 2-2 Atwell instead of Robert Woods, am I supposed to buy, if, am I as a defensive coordinator supposed to believe that this guy that's never accomplished anything in the NFL is going to be just as good as Robert Woods? Or are you more likely to make him prove it to you? I'll be uh, interested in the communication between Benford and Elam when they go in, Rams go in motion. Make sure they got that communication down. See, well, and some of this can be mitigated, right? Like, I don't know. All I know is is that given the way that McVay has found success in this league, I don't think he's going to change. I don't expect their offensive approach to change. I think that they're going to continue trying to be what they have been. They're going to roll out the same pre-snap motion concepts. They're going to stack their wide receivers. They're going to run stacked formations to artificially generate free releases for the wide receivers and force their DBs to chase and tackle. I also expect them to run, I don't know, try and use their limited tight end depth to confuse linebackers, force on the fly adjustments. It's going to be on our staff to have a more exotic plan in place to manage that while keeping their front seven playing assignment sound football. I don't know. For my money, I think the way that you manage this is to let your young corners just go out there and, like I said, go out there and fuck shit up. Get in there. 
Get your hands on these guys. Clutch, grab, hold. Beat them up at the line of scrimmage. You're big, physical cornerbacks. I want you to go out there and get in their faces. I want you to batter these guys and try to mitigate because you've got all pro safety talent behind you, don't you? Yeah. Go out there and mix it up with these guys, and if you get beat, it doesn't matter because there's somebody to help you. You're never going to be alone out there. You're not going to be naked. It'll at least mitigate the damage Robinson and Cup can do if they can get in space. And then when you do decide to throw zone looks at them, instead of allowing their tertiary targets and motion targets to become a threat against your most inexperienced players, you pull a Christian Benford off the field. You pull a Kyir Elam off the field, and you roll out a Saran Neal. You let Teron Johnson, Saran Neal, uh, Micah Hyden, Jordan Poyer go to work. You let these guys who have veteran savvy, who have seen... Uh, Saran Neal was incredible covering Travis Kelsey during that game that we went into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs last year. He was incredible. His ability to diagnose on the fly and just know where to be, when to be, was instrumental in shutting Travis Kelsey down in that game. You could let this be the same dynamic, just in a different way. Allow Saran Neal to go out there and play a little bit of cornerback for you. Mix him into that fold, because I've heard too much of this. This, Well, Elam's going to do this, and he's grabby, and Benford's a sixth-round pick, and oh, they're going to struggle. They don't have to. You're good coaches. You have veteran players at your disposal. I don't know. I just think that if you can get those packages together, Teron Johnson and Saran Neal on the field together, they can play off their just experience in the NFL and do a good job of mixing in and helping mitigate some of the damage that these guys are going to do just through design, scheme, and trickeration. Right? The Bill, the Rams have tricks up their sleeve. Sure. The Bills have fucking talent. And I'd like to believe that we have more collective and individual talent than they do in this matchup on our defense than they do on their offense. However, this coaching staff decides to skin that cat from a scheme and just play call standpoint. This cannot be another game where a savvy play caller and play designer comes in here and pulls the wool over Sean McDermott's eyes without a fight. It can't be. It can't be another game where he gets outcoached, right? Yeah. I like how you pulled that so close to your face just to give me a, yeah, like a, like a James Hetfield. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm the only one on this podcast that talks into the microphone. I talk at the microphone, just like I do most people. <laughs> I talk at you. There's no conversations to be had over here. It's like Bill Burr said. He goes, listen, you guys will think I'm angry. You guys think I'm domineering. I'm not. I'm not an asshole. I just have a lot of ideas, and I need you all to hear all of them before you get to talk. You think that that would be one of your wife's favorite qualities about you? Oh, I really love when my husband talks at me. Did you just spill beer? Dead. God. Yeah, we've reached that point in the podcast, sir. I'm what? Three, six, <laughs> eight. Oh, yeah, we're getting in. Almost to double digits. Ah, we're well on our way. Ken Dorsey versus the depth of the L.A. secondary. Before week 16 last season, nobody out there. Most notably, the dickhead in the chair across from me, right here, yeah, I'm talking about you, fuckface, gave Isaiah McKenzie credit as a true wide receiving threat. He's not. 
when faced with a Patriots team that had too little slot talent to match up with the speed and savvy of the players that the Bills could deploy out there, he put on an absolute show. Cool, he did it once. Okay. This game is a very similar feel to it for me. Jalen Ramsey is gonna he's gonna give whoever he's lined up across, most likely Stephon Diggs, a real uphill climb towards finding production. And I'll say this if you're gonna go at Ramsey, I talked earlier in the podcast about how he's not hundred percent. Given his lax offseason, his ramp like this ramp up to full health that he's currently on, I would test him early. I'd send Stefan Diggs out there and I'd say, listen, our first possession, I want you to run a, with a couple really physical routes in mind for man-to-man coverage because that's his specialty. I'd say, listen, go out there and hit a sharp comeback route. Maybe a really hard-breaking deep in route that's going to require him to not only run with Stefan Diggs, but then try to wall him off physically and get his hands on him and keep him from getting to the spot where his wide receiver can cut across the face of the safeties, who are going to be playing in a two-high shell, right? Like, you know they're going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go out there and test Jalen Ramsey and see if he, see how he feels. Do it early. But the good news is that you don't have to try and hammer away at this thing because there's plenty of meat on the bone elsewhere to manufacture your offense. McKenzie, Crowder, Cook, Shakir... They might be our best shots at putting together long, sustained drives. If you can use the threat of Josh's legs and running backs out of the backfield to even just give their linebackers pause, right? Chris, every team that plays the Buffalo Bills has to keep a linebacker home just to make sure Josh Allen doesn't take off if the play breaks down, right? Yeah. They don't, but most of the time they will or at least early in the game, because they, they're like, okay, we're going to try to rattle them and see if our offense can get the lead, which will allow us to play lax defense. It's all situational play calling. But by and large, teams are now aware we have to watch this guy, because if we let him take off, he has no problem shoving that weak side linebacker to the ground. Oh, Chris, you mean the guy who only is good at coverage can't tackle worth a damn? Is he going to take on Josh Allen in the open field? No, we'll no, give it's, up. It's Where pro- Allen will jump over him. It's probably a bad idea. So they're going to have to have a plan for what to do just by nature of who our quarterback is. But then also, you've got Singletary and Cook out of the backfield. You've got guys who can catch and run, and especially with Cook, his speed is something they have to respect, and if they don't, you need to make them respect it. I look at this and I say, these guys, when you get down the depth chart, you're talking about, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to fuck with your first two cornerbacks. I'm going to attack your third, fourth, fifth guy. I'm going to make you put, it's like college football. I'm going to make you put these rather dubious talents on the field. Give me a couple rookies out here. Let me go to work against them with some talents like Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie. And let's see what that looks like. There is an inherent advantage to the way we're built versus the way their defense is built. I like to think of it like a boxing match. You treat these short under routes like body blows that are inevitably going to force them to not only bring their linebackers in, but maybe even a safety or two. And that's when you can hit them. That's when you swing for the chin and you go to Gabe Davis against this small cornerback two on the outside. And you say, listen, they're going to, if they're going to move safety help away from you, we're taking shots. Chris, wasn't that the thing, right? Last year, the too high safety shell fucked us a lot. This, I would not know. Of course you wouldn't. 
This team worked really hard in the offseason to build a version of their offense that can now defend against that, or at least combat that with play calling and with talent. Specific, uh, what do they call that? Positionless offense, where you've got guys who are tight ends who could also be fullbacks, who could also be line up as running backs and receiving threats that you can put at any level of the field. This is what we're trying to do is make it e- harder for you to say, hey, we're just going to hang two safeties back here and dare you to try to attack us. Now we're built to attack the middle of the field. And this needs to be the coming out party of it. We have all the tools to operate a varied attack. And I haven't even mentioned Dawson Knox. I haven't said his fucking name during the podcast against poor coverage linebackers and safeties. Or the rushing threat off whatever side of the formation Aaron Donald isn't. There's an embarrassment of riches here. It's Ken Dorsey. It's on him to not let the moment get too big for him. And not to be fooled by Raheem Morris, who is a very, he's a veteran and he's a savvy defensive coordinator, fresh off a Super Bowl win off against one of the highest powered passing attacks the NFL's seen in a couple of years. That Cincinnati offense was supposed to light them on fire, wasn't it? Yeah. And it didn't. Because no. Raheem Morris is really fucking good at his job. Yes, tenured defensive coordinator. But Ken Dorsey has more horses than Raheem Morris does. It's going to be on him to mix his play calling. And it's like I said, it's like boxing. Work work low to high. Up and down, you climb the ladder. And just climb the ladder over and over and over again until you end up in the end zone with six. That's it. That's what's going to win or lose this football game is his ability to execute that. But above and beyond that, superseding all of it. Josh Allen versus the fucking world. Earlier tonight, I invoked a reminder of last season's opening performance by Josh Allen. Week one against the Steelers, he went 30 of 51 passing, more than double the completions of Ben Roethlisberger on the other side of the field, but he only had 70 more completed air yards, three first downs, and one more sack taken than this just geriatric opponent. And he had an offense that crossed midfield on eight of its 11 possessions and scored just one touchdown. Unacceptable, right, Chris? Always. I went back and listened to that post-game press conference with Allen last night just out of morbid curiosity as I was probably a glass and a half of scotch deep. I wasn't disappointed because you could see it. That same haunted look that you... Chris, we've seen Josh Allen with loser face. Yeah, I don't think anybody has a better loser face than Josh Allen because you can tell how much he cares about winning. Not only can you tell how much he cares about winning, but you can also see how much he bears the weight of every single loss that's a, like a loss like that. He bears the weight of those things. He's a boy. He's a winner. Winners care. They want to win all the time. And when he doesn't, he knows how to walk that line of like, hey, we didn't win today, but we tried. Our, but when it's his fault, he knows it. And he knew it in that instance. I don't know. I like that. I like that about my quarterback. I like that he takes this shit personally. Because this is it. This is you on the biggest stage in the entire country. Aaron Donald's an amazing football player. Arguably one of the NFL's best. And if you listen to horse shit lists that people put together, he might be one of the best in all of football. That's how big of an impact he makes, regardless of position. But on Thursday night, it's Josh Allen's fucking show. 
Josh Allen, by his talent and by the position that he plays, holds more singular sway over how this game plays out than any coach, any defensive lineman, any wide receiver, any play-calling nuance. It's going to be on him to find the right matchups and the right play calls at the line of scrimmage and force the Rams to win based on their talent being superior to his decision-making, rather than letting the scheme of the Rams defensively be the thing that burns him up. Pre-snap ID to where the defensive line pressure is coming from. You Knowing when to use his legs as an asset. And even more importantly, not to beat himself by trying to do too much. This team has invested. They've invested in an offensive line. They've invested in weapons. They've drafted a speed running back who can catch out of the backfield. They've gone and gotten you a tight end who's developed into one of the, what, nine touchdowns last year? Big physical freak. He's not a slouch as a wide receiver. They went and got you a Stephon Diggs. Oh, by the way, Gabe Davis, nothing to sneeze at. Oh, we gave you a trio of really fast, multifaceted slot threats that are better than what most teams have in that position. Let it work for you. That's it. Trust them to do their own share of the heavy lifting. Right? Trust that Gabe Davis can go out and beat some clown of a cornerback too on his own. Trust that McKenzie can get to a spot away from his man on an out route or a simple sale concept. And trust that Cook and Singletary can take a check down and still get good yardage for you. Meaningful yardage. He is the key to this entire thing. His maturity and continued growth. And that's going to be the story of 2022. This team will go as he goes. This game will go as he goes. This season will go as Josh Allen goes. If you think about it, in totality, we haven't talked about Buffalo at all tonight, really. Part of that's by design because I feel like We've spent months talking about what the Bills are, what they aren't, where their holes are, who their good players are, where our strengths and weaknesses are. The reality is that until the lights come on and the stadium gets loud and every single football fan across America is glued to their fucking TV, we're not going to know what they are, who they are, what they can and can't be, whether or not they can win this football game. You're not going to know right up until kickoff, right up until the third quarter, fourth quarter, or right until the, the final whistle. You're not going to know what the Buffalo Bills are until it's all said and done. You'd like to believe that the additions of Von Miller and Shaq Lawson and Tim Settle and Daquan Jones will make them a better defense and generate more negative plays. You also want to believe that becoming a more athletic and more well-coached offensive line will allow us to impose our will a little bit more effectively in the ground game and open up more options for us in the passing game. This one singular game won't define who and what the Bills are in 2022, but it's an opportunity for this, not just this roster, but this coaching staff to, to show what it's learned from the sins of its past. That its veteran roster has learned from these painful lessons that they've learned at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs over the last two seasons. They've learned what it takes to win. 
and that an ever-ascending quarterback with the entire country watching has grown from where he left off in 2021, learned from his own sins and his own missteps for the past in these kind of scenarios, and that he can come into what might be. Chris, when you look at that opening slate of games, the back half of our schedule looks like a cakewalk by comparison, doesn't it? The whole season's a cakewalk. Compared to the first five weeks, the last five weeks look easy. He needs to show that he can come in here and hit the most difficult portion of our schedule and maybe the maybe the hardest opening month of football of any team in the NFL, head on, and impose his will and become like you heard Rich Eisen talking about in the intro to this show, inevitable. The way that we want to believe that he can be. The way that you need to be if you're going to hold up a Lombardi trophy at the end of the year. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm fucking terrified. But I love the fact that you guys are all along with us for the fucking ride. I'm going to crack a second Montucky and two-fist my way on out of here. Chris, I love this. I'm fired up. Season's here. Thursday night. Guys, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, don't have an empty hand. If you have, I'll say this. If you buy Montucky Cold Snacks from Premier Gourmet, where is it, Chris? Williamsville, New York? Yeah, on Maple. It's the only one. Happen to find yourself with a Montucky Cold Snack in your hand? Tweet us a picture of it. I've got an interesting, uh, some interesting conversations going on between me and the Montucky people. Send me a picture of you guys in your Bills gear and a Montucky Cold Snack. Guys, I'm scared. I'm excited. I've got butterflies. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. <sighs> I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your week one preview. <laughs>